Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. Today on the show, my guest is Dr. Michelle Perro. Together, we will talk about one of the most pertinent questions that I get asked all the time. And I know that every listener and every parent out there is asking the same question. What is making our children sick? Um, We go into a lot of deep discussion about what that is. And my hope for this episode really is that um, all parents get to get to listen to this. So please help me make this go viral. Share this with everybody that you know. Share it with um, people from your children's school, your friends, your family. Um, just share it with everybody so everybody can get can listen to what Dr. Perro has to say, and um, so that we can start making the changes that she recommends so that we can get our kids to feel better, so our families can start to feel better. Dr. Michelle is a veteran pediatrician with nearly four decades of experience in acute and integrative medicine. More than 15 years ago, Dr. Perro transformed her clinical practice to include pesticide and health advocacy. She has both directed and worked as attending physician from New York's Metropolitan Hospital to UCSF Benoff Children's Hospital in Oakland. Dr. Perro has managed her own business, Down to Earth Pediatrics, creating a new field of integrative urgent care medicine. She's currently lecturing and, and consulting, as well as working with Gordon Medical Associates, an integrative health center in Northern, Northern California. Dr. Perro has co-authored the highly acclaimed book, What's Making Our Children Sick, and is the exec- executive director of a nonprofit scientific website, GMO Science. She has been a sought-after speaker nationally and internationally, including Cape Town, Melbourne, and Beijing. Let's just get into this um, episode, and I really, really hope that we all absorb as much as we can from this episode and try to really start making the changes that, um, that are recommended. So let's listen in. Hi, Michelle. I'm so happy to have you here today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mamima, and it's absolutely my pleasure to join you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, um, you know, when before we get started, I always like to ask everyone what got them into doing the work that they do. Um, I understand that you were a conventionally trained pediatrician before you actually really got into doing a lot of the 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 detail work, and I almost call it like the, the heroic work of like changing minds and and being this you know this warrior pediatrician out there to help save children's lives um how did you get onto that well you you are absolutely correct um traditionally trained mainstream medicine a very conventional background mostly in acute care pediatric emergency medicine um, i did hospital inpatient work i did child abuse and unfortunately sexual assault work and however I truly, looking back over 40 years, I was never comfortable with a lot of the pharmacologic approaches. So yes, I employ them, but just to what I had to do, it always made me uneasy. Although 
I'll be 100% honest, I was unaware and woefully ignorant of all the other tools in the toolbox back then, didn't know. And so when I became aware of issues regarding pesticides and working with moms, and some of these moms were my patients, of my kids, and through these extraordinary women sitting in kitchens, drinking coffee, stopping the sprays of pesticides here in Northern California, and it was a massive victory stopping the spray against this moth that was going to ruin apple crops, which turned out to be a bust. It never materialized. And through those moms, I learned about GMOs and pesticides. When I started understanding and researching that topic, I put together that information which, with what I was seeing in children. Simultaneously, I was seeing a decline in children's health, a rapid decline in front of my eyes and saying, what is going on? Just the rising rates of neurologic disorders like autism, chronic abdominal complaints of every caliber, constipation, diarrhea, abdominal pain, reflux, all of it, as well as, oh my gosh, sleep disorders, behavioral change, not hardcore neurologic issues, but soft neurologic issues like dysomnia, sleep issues. So when I was able to integrate the environmental health toxicants, which we'll talk about today, and what I was seeing in patients, because I am a clinician, I am devoted to the clinic and caring hands-on pediatrics. It was, it was an aha, light bulb, explosion moment. And then I knew I couldn't go back because silence would be complicity. And I took a vow. And I have took, I've taken a vow, my marriage to my husband, my marriage to my clients, my patients, and children who I don't know. And that's why I wrote the book, Momima, because you could only see so many kids in the clinic. And I knew that that just wasn't good enough. Yeah, and I think we're so grateful for the work that you do because so many of us have learned so much from you and from your book and from you know all of your your speaking engagements because it wouldn't if it wasn't for you putting out all of that work and a lot of that research. Um, we wouldn't have known a lot of the things. And I think that's really what I want to get into today. Um, you saw, you, you talk about seeing this, this decline in our children's health. What is making our children sick? Well, it's, there are many factors, but I believe based on the literature and the science and clinical experience, the number one reason is our food. This conversion away from um, green, organic, regenerative, organic agriculture, true food to process industrialized food-like products is causing illness. The problem is the foods are made to taste really good and better. We are, it's promoted that better eating through science, that if it's technological food, it's better food. That's a myth that these foods will save humanity, offset climate change, prevent drought, um, feed the world. These kind of uh, memes are all fictitious. They're not true based on fabulous plant biologists and scientists that I've read and respect, and there's plenty of data. And oftentimes, and we as parents don't know because the food tastes the same. So if I give you a, a GMO corn and a non-GMO corn, it's very hard. I can't tell the difference in the taste. Animals can. 
If you have a field of GMO corn next to a non-GMO corn, for example, the geese will fly over the GMO corn and eat the non-GMO. Same with squirrels, same with cattle. If you force them to eat it, they'll eat it if they're hungry. But given the choice, they can tell. But many of us cannot, except there is one French researcher, uh, Gilles-Éric Serralini, um, who's done a lot of research in this arena, who wrote a book about this. He says you can taste the pesticides, for example, in wine. Um, he's French. Wine culture is very important. Um, and so he has written a book about it, how you could actually taste it. So there are those with a more exquisite palate um, who can. So the long answer is it's our food and what we've done to it since about 1996. Before that, with pesticides, GMOs were introduced approximately around 1996. And it's interesting when you say that, right? It's really when they've made that change, like we talk a lot about avoiding processed foods and, and things like that, right? That are manufactured that really don't even have a lot of food. But what you're talking about is really our food. So if you pick up an apple, if you pick up corn, if you pick up wheat, right? So it's, it's things that we consider real food, which is kind of lacking the either the the nutrients or the way that they've been grown and raised uh, and harvested is where the trouble is. Indeed, Mumima, you are correct. The, um, and because here in the US and um, we have prevented GMO labeling and 90% uh, of Americans do not want to eat GMOs. So therefore big ag, it's called agribusiness, had to prevent that through their stronghold in our government and stop the labeling process. So we in America have no idea what we're eating. Now companies have elected voluntarily to put on their labels, non-GMO, et cetera. But if you eat organic, you will not be eating a GMO. There are foods coming in now, even with more sophisticated technology called gene editing or CRISPR, which is totally unregulated and, un and unsupervised such as I'll give you the innate potato. So potatoes, common food here in America, and they genetically engineered, gene edited this potato so that it wouldn't produce the black part, you know, the part you cut out of the potato, but it's still in there, you just can't see it. The genetic engineer who developed that potato wrote a book about there, about that potato called Pandora's Potatoes, the worst GMO ever. That book was on Amazon for two weeks before it was taken off and it has disappeared. I happened to snag my copy, which I like treasure. It's a little pamphlet. And the engineer himself said, this was the worst idea about so the, that making these potatoes. An apple was released called the Arctic apple and genetically edited, gene edited apple where they edited the uh, genes so that it wouldn't produce the brown part of the apple, there would be no browning, so that an apple could last three months on a shelf. Why would you want to eat an apple that could last three months? I say, don't eat it. So this, and you have, and, and, the, and parents buying these foods for their children will have no idea because they're not labeled. So they're not healthier. And when you change the genetic sequence, let's say the apple or the potato, it has untoward health effects that have not been studied. So there are no studies looking at these health effects untoward genetic rearrangements, not studied. So we're eating foods, giving them our children. And we know from other projects I'm working on that there are health effects.
They just haven't been reported. And in the unknowing consumer eater is going to have no idea. And it's, it's, scary to just think that when we go to a supermarket all of these things are lying side by side you know for for the untrained eye or someone who hasn't really done a lot of the research you're going to go for the nice pretty looking apples rather than the ones that are starting to brown a little bit right like you just want to take home the ones that that look really good or if they're like three or four different varieties you're just going to pick whichever one you know either is cheaper or you know that looks better um, and that and that's so scary because we they're literally like targeting us as a consumer and and making a product like a natural product to look like something exactly what we would want, but it's costing us our children's health. And you know it's really hard. I mean, I I've made this joke before, Mamima, that you need to have a PhD to go to the supermarket aisle these days. Most of us are not farmers. We are, most of us are no longer the farms. And I'm, I did a talk yesterday about supporting our farmers that we need to close the gap of the growers and the eaters. That right there is a massive problem. But in the meantime, for those of us who are still going to the supermarket, like me, I don't have a dairy cow outside. I, am, I grow some vegetables, but boy, I need to go to the supermarket. There's no idea. And we look for perfection. You're right, the perfect food. However, those may not be the healthiest. And so uh, many of the messages I do get families is know your farmer, farmers, markets, shop organic. And, you know, people, the number one complaint I hear, particularly here where I am, is it's too expensive, that organics cost more. And I say there is a reason. Well, here in the U.S., we subsidize conventional crops. We do not subsidize organic farmers because big ag, as if, we need to subsidize big ag and farmers get used to these government subsidies. So they grow monocropping. Nature never intended to have monocropping, growing one crop. That has destroyed our soil. So as eaters and pediatricians and as kids, we need to regain our soil to regain our health. We have to encourage our farmers to grow what we need nutritionally because the nutrient density of food now has diminished markedly over the past 50 years. It's 40% less. So we are overfed and undernourished as humans. And it is creating not only tired children, but an epidemic of metabolic derangement, which looks in the form of obesity. And obesity is not a benign condition. And it's not because a child is lazy that they're overweight. Let's, let's debunk that myth. And I want, I, so just get that off the table. What's making children sick is the food and other obesogens. Um, and not because we have a lazy child. And, and yes, indeed, also they're on their electronics nonstop. I can go into that in a separate talk with you, but let's stick to the food for now. And so we have a health crisis. At first, it was just in the US. We've imported it, I am embarrassed to say, globally from the sad American diet through these processed foods that we have, I don't know, offered, forced upon, you can figure out what adjective and verbs you like on other countries around the world. I find this is a global, um, frankly, nightmare. It is, right? And when you're talking about um, just the way how food has grown, um, and I'm just trying to understand from whatever little that I know from uh, of when I grew up and what 
kind of information I was given about a lot of the crop, one of the things that we were always taught was the importance of crop rotation, et cetera. But, and it's something that we did see in, in fields. I was lucky enough to kind of grow up in, in, a, in a bit of a suburban area where they had some lands. And so I would see crop rotation. I would see corn only at a certain time of the year. I'd see wheat come up at a certain time and I would see other things come up. But now as time is going by, like you said, the farmers are getting so used to that. And that's, I think that's a problem the world over. It's not just something that, that you're seeing in the US, but I think we're seeing that the world over. Um, and, and because of that, uh, I know that there's this big move towards organic farming, but in, in this part of the world, we're still catching up. We're still far behind. We might have some people in almost like boutique, um, you know, uh, startups who are doing organic farming, but it's not really at the level that we need to help our children. Um, and so to get, I feel like to get that going and to get people to advocate for themselves, I think it's important for them to understand really what it is in this food. Like what, how are we, you know, heart, like how are we growing this crop? How are we harvesting? What are we putting in to make sure that food looks perfect, right? Like you said, what are these chemicals, these pesticides, these herbicides? What are all of these things that we add into the food that are just taking away from um, the nutrient density of it all? Yes. So, um, so I think it's important for listeners to understand that um, there are effects from genetic modification, which is where you change the plant so that when you spray an herbicide, the most common one is called Roundup. If they're glyphosate-based herbicides, that the plant, the crop doesn't die, but the weeds around it die. And we call that herbicide tolerance. And that trait was specifically designed only so that when you spray crops, the crop doesn't die. There's no health benefit, no water benefit, no sustainability benefit. That is it. Um, the problem with that is since the development um, some two and a half decades ago, we have a massive problem of weed resistance. Right now, 75% of the weeds in the U.S. are resistant to this first-line GMO. And now um, agribusiness such as Monsanto Bear are making the genetically modified crops that have um, herbicide resistance to five different herbicides. So that's problem number one. We know that GMOs cause health effects from the first study done by a researcher in the U.K. named Dr. Pusti. And I honor him every time I speak because he's the first one who showed that genetically modified potatoes cause massive changes in gut immune function, reproductive function, et cetera. And that's where I first learned my very first aha moment that I was referring to earlier caused my world to shift 180 degrees when I saw his research. Now we don't eat GMOs alone. You eat them with their associated pesticides. Pesticides include herbicides, fungicides and insecticides. Right now we have genetic modification for both against weeds and insects, and it's called BT corn. And they're made from a bacterium called ag agrobacterium. Um, uh, it's called Bacillus thuringiensis. That's the name of it. So, okay, what's the problem with it? We know GMOs themselves cause issues. There's only a few studies looking at just GMOs. All the things I mentioned, they stress out cells called oxidative stress. And in addition, they reduce glutathione. Glutathione is the master oxidant in your body. And kids now have these super low levels. 
They also propagate the development of something called polyamines, which are too many of them are carcinogenic. We know, um, so we know that that's what GMOs can do. There is so much literature on glyphosate, glyphosate now, literally thousands of studies now, and all the formulations of glyphosate, there are over, I think they're close to 800 now. So it's important to know that when you glyphosate, I'll tell you what it does, but when you use an herbicide, farmers, they just don't use the glyphosate, they use these combinations of inert, quote unquote, ingredients. And usually the inerts are as toxic or more toxic than the original substance. So for in the case of Roundup, Roundup Ready Crops, there is this glyphosate and also something called POEA, which breaks down the cell membranes as a surfactant so that the glyphosate can get into cells and do its action. Now, what glyphosate does is we were told it was safe for humans because we don't have the pathway that plants do, which is what gives it its herbicide tolerance. And that is correct, Momina. We do not have this pathway. It's called the shikimate pathway, but our microbiome does. There are certain organisms, not all of them, in our gut with the microbiome being, we are mostly bacterial, anywhere about 10 to one microbial cells to human cells. And those microbes are the key to health. It turns out that glyphosate affects the microbiome and it, and it reduces, and it, we know exactly the pathway and it's been shown in research out of the UK, out of King's College, how it actually happens. So we know that when, you, when our children eat these um, pesticides, it affects their microbiome, um, number one. Number two, it inhibits their detoxification pathways in their liver. Number three, it binds minerals. So it's a chelator. So glyphosate holds on very dearly to these minerals that children need to run their biologic functions like magnesium, manganese, glyphosate loves manganese, and uh, calcium. But what people also don't know is glyphosate can shuttle aluminum in six different pathways across your blood brain barrier. And that's the barrier that protects your brain. And what does that mean is that aluminum, which is a known neurotoxin, shuttles across the brain into children's brains. When that neurotoxin enters brain, it's very hard to get it out. And most certainly it is linked to the epidemic of autism as well as Alzheimer's disease, which in America right now is skyrocketing, both diseases at both ends of the age spectrum. So we're eating this substance. We can't feel, taste, sense that it's there. It's marketed cheaply to us by big ag. Farmers are giving glossy packages of how this will save their farms. They buy into the treadmill at a higher cost, and now they are owned by these big ag and have to keep up on the chemical treadmill and rebuy their seeds because they don't regenerate. They have to use the products, which are expensive, and they have to pay these companies a fee every year. So we are bankrupting farmers, massive problem in India. And I invite your listeners to listen to, listen to one of my, my idols is Vandana Shiva. And boy, I could just listen to her speak all day before her passion, her brilliance, her, her knowledge, her activism, just everything that she says is spot on. Um, and the, the crisis just in India, all oh, globally, what, if that doesn't change your mind about what's happening to our kids. And so when we eat this, our kids' guts are disturbed. 
And remember, most disease begins in the gut. And there's something called the gut-brain axis. So when you affect the gut, you affect the brain. And how does that look in children? Behavioral issues, sleep disruption, um, autism or autistic-like dis- dis- disorder, ADHD, kids cannot focus. They're jumping out of their seats and every gut complaint you can imagine in children. And that's how it manifests clinically. Yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing that... Um, we're eating a lot of these foods. Like I, I'm just a little, you know, I'm, I'm in a wow factor right now where, you know, these things are all around us. It's supposed to be our food that's supposed to be there to nourish us. But really like what, like you're saying, already the food that we're eating is, is lower in nutrients. And then when they're sprayed on by things like glyphosate, it's no wonder our kids are struggling. No wonder we're seeing so much autism around. We're seeing, you know, from everywhere, parents are constantly like, how, how did it get to them when they're so young? It's just because the first foods that they eat are foods that are so, um, so highly, you know, uh, changed with, with GMO and with all of these chemicals, like, uh, of course, their bodies are going to be overwhelmed. Well, you know, you, I'm glad you mentioned that, Mamima, because there's another point there. So, like, you're right. How did the kids get it? They're only one, two, three years old. Really? They're so affected by the food. Half of them are still just nursing the first year of life. That's because if mom and dad, dad doesn't get a pass here. If mom and dad ate that food, which likely they have, it has been shown in research at the University of Washington here in the U.S. that the glyphosate affects epigenetically, the next generations, it might pass F0, the mom's generation, but it affects subsequent generations way down the road by changing not their genes, but substances that sit on top of their genes called their epigenes. And those epigenes are also important in what happens to the child. They affect regulation and production of certain proteins. So what the parents ate doesn't affect them genetically, affects them epigenetically. It's through a process called methylation and acylation. And that is passed on to the offspring. So mom and dad, when I tell parents, sometimes for moms here in the US, they think it's a pastor in pregnancy, they keep whatever they want. They're eating junk food and every, I'm like, no, now's the time to eat really well because that's shaping the epigenes and the milieu of the infant, whatever you eat, they're getting in through the plant placenta, including the microbiome is now research that shows the placenta is not sterile, that there's a placental microbiome. And so when the, and if mom is not healthy, when the baby passes through the vaginal canal in a vaginal birth, they acquire that microbiome from mom, which sets up the baby's innate immunity And what will offset diseases like COVID is a strong innate immune system. So mom has to stay healthy. Young women now in America are not healthy because they grew up eating that stuff. And so this is the problem we have. And and then we have transported it across the world. So um, this idea of maternal and paternal stewardship. Dads exposed, for example, to pesticides, Roundup, their children have a higher rate of leukemia and other cancers. Cancer is the number two leading cause of death in children. I think trauma is number one. 
And of, of the cancers, it's leukemia is number one. And we know that dads exposed to herbicides have a higher risk of leukemia in their children. So the, dads, genetics, epigenetics, and food intake matters as well. It's not just mom. So this is a family issue. And when, so rather than like, you know, giving families, listeners doom and gloom, no, whenever you change your nutrition, your microbes respond immediately. Within a few days, one to three days, you can see a change in your microbiota. That's how quick it can happen. So the idea like, oh, well, doesn't matter. We'll just go eat eating this nonsense. No, you can change your health almost immediately at any age. You will still, so the beauty of instilling and restoring the body's dynamic ability to heal itself can happen any point during life, even at the end of life. So it's never too late to make a change in our diet. Yeah, and I think that that idea of hope is so important, right? It, it's important to, to empower everyone with the information, but it's also just as important to empower them with the hope, like you said. It's, it's never too late. With children, it's because they're younger, their body's more robust, they're able to bounce back a lot faster. But that can happen at, at, at any age. Um, and you will see your health, your, um, there's so many families that I work with, and they, they can't, the first thing they talk about is just having this mental clarity and this fog that is lifted. You know, um, kids who are in their teens, they talk about that, just being able to think and process so much better. Um, and it's just like these, these small changes that they say, but it makes such a big impact on their quality of life. Right. Momina, you are spot on. And when you, for example, you need magnesium and zinc to run 200 to 300 reactions in your brain. So if you are deficient in those two minerals, and when I check children, they are incredibly deficient. And, and, and so I can only assume it's the glyphosate because they're in here in America, we're all eating a glyphosate enriched diet. When you take those chelators out, the kids feel better because their brain function runs better. It's like putting um, bad oil in your car, bad gasoline. The car is not going to run as well. So I tell kids that all the time. If you don't give your engine the nutrients it needs, it cannot run. You cannot run. So give the best that you can give. So my biggest um, advice to families is to return to the way, not perhaps your parents ate, but your grandparents. We eat your original food, real food, someone's got to cook. And I don't think it should be just women. Children can cook and they love to be in the kitchen. I didn't have my children, they're grown up now in the kitchen because I am embarrassed to say I didn't want my kitchen dirty. And I didn't want to clean it up. So I said, Oh, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. What a mistake. If I could change anything, and I don't like to look back because that's going to be dangerous, I would have had my kids in the kitchen, my son and my daughter helping me cook meals. That is the only regret I have raising my children is why didn't I get them in the kitchen? Um, but that aside, and to eat your ethnic foods, whether you're Asian, you're African, wherever you're from, eat your ethnic foods whatever you're supposed to be eating is going to be healthier for you. So I tell Central Americans, you, you eat a lot of beans and rice. 
and perhaps you, and corn, corn is king in Mexico. We are very close to Mexico. We share a border. So that should be a, a, a part of your diet. Heirloom seeds, not these GMO corn, corn varieties, but your heirloom, Mexico has so many varieties of heirloom corn. It, I'd say eat your, that is real food for you and your people, of course, with a, as much a plant-based diet. And, um, and that's what I recommend. You, I, you, if you're vegetarian, you can um, exist very well vegetarian. If you do eat meat, it should be free range, organic, grass finished, grass fed, humanely treated animals and smaller portions. Especially I think children do do well on meat, but boy, you can do well as a vegetarian as well, depending on your culture, your beliefs, we can make it work. Whatever your belief system is, we can work around it. Um, and so what I support is the return for all eaters to regenerative organic farming. Know your farmer. I just finished for the first time an organic farming class at our local college. So it is possible to learn to organically farm at our age. And I did it and I learned so much about farming. And it gave me even a better appreciation of what our farmers need to do. And then I tell families grow at home. Even in a small apartment, you can grow herbs. And herbs can be even healthier than the vegetables you're eating. And I include a lot of rich herbs in um, kids' diets and start them early on the herbs. Some of the most healthy herbs, and we have here parsley, cilantro, rosemary, endless thyme, um, all those herbs, you know, basil, etc., are wonderful additions. So, and we have to reteach this, Momima, and I love what you're doing in your work because we've lost that. Young, young people are so tech focused, we've lost those arts. And so I say, we have to bring that back. I know I got a little bit off topic there, but I'm very passionate about restoring what we once knew. It's not that far away, but we can bring this back. No, I, I don't think you're off topic at all, because it's one of the things that, you know, when I think about working in, in our communities is to get people to realize that even if they have a small piece of land, or like you said, even if you're in in an apartment to start growing their own food and to give people that autonomy over their own food and to learn where it comes from. Get your kids, like you said, in the kitchen, I like to tell parents to get their kids' hands dirty, get them in the dirt, right? And, and teach them the quality of, of food. Like uh, I have a four-year-old who I have to literally force to, to help me with some gardening. Um, he's not really you know, you would want kids to be like in dirt, but we're seeing more and more kids who are like very like hesitant because they find it so new and, and because we haven't really done it and we they haven't really been exposed to much of that. But it's really bringing them back, exposing to them to it and then teaching them that, you know, the, you will get your food from the, the ground. A lot of kids, when you ask them now, where do you get their food? They'll say the supermarket because they have no idea how food is raised how, how it's grown sorry and how you can harvest it and so just relearning and re for us grown-ups as well and then also to our kids teaching them the value of that um, and then bringing you back to again like you said our roots um, one of the things that that is almost like a salient feature of, of what you're teaching is, is is organic food and going to 
eat food that is organic. And for a lot of people, their argument is either it's too expensive or that it's out of their reach. But that's really fundamental to reclaiming our health back, isn't it? Absolutely. So I know it's difficult. I know some areas and communities don't have access. And I say, I can, I appreciate that. We all don't have access here in California. We're very lucky. We're a growing region. We have access to um, organics. Um, however, what I tell folks is to avoid GMOs. If you can't eat organic, do not eat GMOs because they are loaded with pesticides and they're the main GMO foods. You should know what they are. They're soy, corn, cottonseed, cottonseed oil, canola, and then there are others, but those are the main ones. And then if you can, if you buy fruits and vegetables, your greens, wash them off. So if they're, not, if they're genetically modified, the insecticides, the herbicides are inside the foods. BT corn has, every kernel of corn has an insecticide in it. Um, GMO corn, when you eat it, you can't wash it off. It's in the plant. But if you buy spinach that's been sprayed, you can at least wash it off. And then I tell people, if you can, um, drink a little apple cider vinegar every day in your water. Why is that? Because apple cider vinegar contains one of the few organisms, as in my last research called acetobacter, that can break down glyphosate. The most common herbicide used in the world are glyphosate-based herbicides. So if you can at least get rid of that one, the average food here in the U.S. has at least five pesticides in it because you spray the pesticides, the fungicide, all of these sides, cidal organisms are designed to kill biologic organisms. We are a biologic organism. So let's be clear, we are not so distant from the, um, the bugs and the corn borers and everything else. So try to include that. Um, what else can we do? Um, so yeah, that's what I, I tell folks to do um, in terms of maintaining health. Also, um, if they can find, you know, here in the US, we have farm delivery, we, we can get these boxes, um, they're called a community service or something, and you can get a box of fresh fruit and vegetables delivered to you, if you can do that, that decreases the price. If you can buy with neighbors in, in bulk, you can buy in community, one way to reduce the price. And also, if you, if you do have a small plot of land and you're growing tomatoes or cucumbers, do it with your neighbor. If they have a small plot, they can grow some things and you grow the other things. Often you produce so much, you, your family can't use it all. Then share it. So you all don't have to grow everything. Talk to your neighbors and you can share. The next year when you grow, rotate your crops. That's called crop rotation. And that is a cornerstone of organic farming. And then you want to learn about what to plant when. It, it takes a little bit of knowledge, but honestly, you'll make mistakes in the beginning. So what? The other key thing is, yes, kids get addicted to their devices. If what's happening in your part of the world is anything unlike the U.S., we have a mass addiction to technology. I see 18-month-olds on their phones. Oh yeah. I th I'm thinking, what have we done? It activates a chemical in their brain called dopamine. That dopamine is the addiction neurochemical. So we have to literally put our kids back in the soil to help them detox and remove the addiction from their devices. And kids don't want to get dirty. Moms don't want to clean them. Get over it. 
I'm I'd say this to ladies. I know this is a ladies thing. Moms get over it. Let your kid get dirty. So their hands are dirty. So what? And, uh, and yes, we have to get our kids back off their devices and back in the ground. And most of our children could use it. Oh yeah. Um, and you adopt your microbiome starts to look at like the soil where you're exposed. And that is a healthier soil. I'm saying, you know, don't let them eat cow poop. No, I'm not saying that, but let them plant and get in there with you and it'll make a mess. And so what? Um, so this is, these are some of the things that we teach parents, mommy, and I know it sounds like you're doing the same thing. Yeah, no. And it's, it's really about, um, helping parents navigate all of, um, you know, the, the way that we've all sorry, parenting has, I think it's, it's, it's not just something that's in a particular region, but it's everywhere. Our kids, it's just so much easier to put them in front of a screen to get some work done. But it's, and, and, and it's getting harder and harder to get these kids off of these screens, right? Like when a parent decides, okay, I'm not going to give them screens anymore. That process of just weaning them off of those machines are probably the hardest few days that you will go through with your child. It's almost like a detox that you have to do of their bodies. Um, and, and I know that I did it last summer. I said, that's it. We're done. Everything goes and everything went. And it was hard. But the resiliency that these kids have, that they will just find some, they will learn to find other things to do. They will get more creative. They will maybe get a little bit more naughtier as well and get into things that they're not supposed to. But welcome that right that is just a way that you're allowing their brains to grow rather than just sit in front of these screens and 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 not think and not process and not do all of these things that they're meant to do you know spot on and you know i i said even looking back and raising my own children um and there were times i used back then we had videos that i did use the video babysitter but, um, and even looking back now that I'm thinking about it, I might change that too. Cause I too said, oh my God, I need to get some work done. Um, I need to get laundry and I need to get dinner going or whatever it was that I was doing. Cause I'm a working mom and um, that reliance on that. And I think that is a big error and we need to have more play groups, get children like to play with other children, have the kids come to your house um, you know, and just have an area where they can get messy and play and you're right. And so they're naughty, but that's what they need to do. They need to push boundaries. They have to use their imaginations. If they don't explore and use their imagination, those neural networks will not be created. They're laying down neural networks for problem solving. It's not better living through technology. A lot of parents think, oh, if my kid's going to succeed in school, he has to be on his laptop and, and doing these math programs. Absolutely not. They get more information from being outside, problem solving with a group of kids, playing ball and navigating social dynamics that they're, they're going to get doing some math program on, on the computer. So this is a mindset that's been cultivated by the technocracy. And that's what I call it. We're being dictated by people who want to sell us more technology. And I say, break away, let your kid explore and develop their imagination. That is a mistake. Once a child hits eight or nine years old, those imagination pathways start to close down. And, and so you want to maximize the richness of their neural networks, which will provide them 
problem solving ability in a complicated world and particularly social dynamics. So many children now have social challenges. They're socially awkward, social isolation, social disengagement. And the, this recent situation has not helped with, with all of this that I say, no, allow these kids to develop socially and get them off the devices and get them eating healthier food and get them playing. We have seen children using two sticks and having a great time, right? You, they now create this whole imagination world um, from you know making villages to fairy homes to everything else kids can do. Some dirt, a few rocks, a few sticks, and kids are happy. You know, we have the funny expression here in the US, you buy presents for your kids, you, there's a toy in the box and they play with the box. Yeah. Oh I mean, God. so parents, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? to propagate. So it comes to looking ourselves. We are still the parents. We still, until a certain age, tell our children what to do. So we parents, dad, mom, grandma, whoever's raising those children, buy the food, make the food, and dictate screen time and bedtime and bath time and every other time. So I t one of the biggest things I tell parents, you're responsible, you're the adult, you're not their friend, you're their parent. So how do we do that? So um, this is some of the stuff I talk to folks here in the U.S. Um, and we have these conversations. And mommy, it's not, it's not easy. Parents are stressed, especially those working at home now. They're, things are opening. Um, but I say devices are not it. Fast food that makes your life easier is not it. In America, we spend almost half our income on takeout. That's what we are doing here in America. Let me assure you that takeout uses the cheapest, quickest, fattiest, saltiest food because that tastes good, fat and salt. You want to make food taste good? You add fat and salt. Mm -hmm. And it's not the healthy food that parents are grabbing. They're going for takeout for pizza and I don't know what they like in your neck of the woods. Um, this is what we're doing here in the US. You know, it's crazy here. I live in Dubai and I think on the roads, we see more delivery guys than anybody else. Like there, there are more delivery um, personnel on the road than cars it's it's exactly the same that it is it's just that we've honed into this convenience so much that we've kind of lost this and it, this is a life skill right and we're, we have to transfer it to our kids of how to cook and and how to nourish our bodies but it's really interesting that when you talk about these few things we can go into um you know parents would want to know what can we do to improve our kids' health. These are the things, right? You don't need a long prescription pad full of medication to bring you back to health, but you need these few things. Focus back on your food, focus back on your lifestyle. And, and, and that is what's going to bring your kids to back, back to being healthy, right? And I'm not talking about kids with complex um, conditions. But even they will show so much improvement in their condition by just making these changes. Mumu, again, you're spot on. And I think people, it sounds so simple, people can't believe that it's accurate. It's what you eat, it's what you drink, and it's moving your body, mind, body, spirit. And I, and I even have parents work with your children with meditation and yoga. Kids are stressed too. This has been a very stressful year 
for children. I said, if you're meditating, meditate with children. They need to also calm down their nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system. You want to upregulate that. I said, teach your children these simple techniques. If you don't know how mom or dad, you can go watch a YouTube if you need to, and then teach your children. I'm talking about 10 minutes with your six-year-old. I'm not talking about two hours of, you know, being in a yoga pose. I'm saying 10 minutes, five minutes of a simple meditation or some yoga with your kids really makes a difference. And so, and also shut off the devices, shut off the Wi-Fi at night. And, you know, these are, I know we're off topic in terms of food, but as we began, I believe food is making our kids sick, but we also have issues with EMFs. We have issues with toxicants from plastics. So the more back to earth, farm to table, less tech focused we can be, I am not saying abandon science. I'm not anti-science. I'm pro-technology. I'm on the computer all day. But is this what's best for your kid? And this is what we need to do. And also, and if that's not what your friends are doing, you be the judge of you. If you say, well, my friends aren't doing that, well, your friends may not be right. And perhaps it's going to be you, you mom, you dad, who will change the conversation in your community. Perhaps at the next birthday party, not all the kids need to eat tons of sugar and cupcakes. Maybe you make real food at the next kid's birthday party. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I can't agree with you more and I cannot be grateful enough to you to come and share all of this um, with our audience because it's so important for parents to hear this, to learn it, and then to incorporate it, right? There's one thing about hearing and learning, but I think that we're at that point now where we can't ignore implementing a lot of these things into our lives. Um, and, and I think that giving this kind of information and, and these options to parents um, makes it easier you know, it might not be easy and it might not be expense, uh, might not be cheap to pay for a lot of the foods and things that we're talking about, but prioritize, right? Find, find ways to make it work. You know, when you, when you drop the takeouts, you might be able to afford the organic food, right? Because that in, in its entirety might still turn out to be cheaper than for all of the food that you're paying other people to make for you. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for all of this, this wealth of information and all that you do with all of your research and, and, you know, just putting it out there for all of us to learn from you. Well, thank you, Momima. I appreciate not only sharing this conversation with you in a different part of the world and seeing that indeed, even parents where you are experiencing the same thing that parents that we're experiencing, but I am so inspired when I see young folks like you, young women like you, carry the torch forward. My goal is to impart what I've learned, boots on the ground, to people like you, and so you can carry it forward. <clears throat> and that's what we need to do. Yeah. So no, thank you as well. No, no. And I think it's just about all of us when we work together along with our, the parents are really, we're going to be able to see the change that we're wanting to see because nobody in their right minds wants to see sick children because they really are our future. You know, lastly, before we wrap up, I will say this, if parents are not clear, like really, is it that simple? Then if it's not simple, why isn't my pediatrician or my physician telling me this? Well, I say, well, why believe me or Momima for that matter? You do this experiment yourself at home with your family, not three days, 
And it has to be everyone. You can't go get takeout and then give your kids, you know, some, some salads and things like that. No, it's a family dynamic. It's a family change. And do it for a month. And monitor your own family's health. And even simple things that you thought were normal, mild things, gassy tummies, a little bit of headache, a little bit achiness or fatigue. It doesn't have to be an overt health issue. They can be soft clinical experiences and see what you're all feeling. Keep a little record, monitor your family's health and report back to us and let us know what you found. And I wouldn't find anyone who's going to want to go back to what they did before. Correct. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. I'm just so delighted that you were able to come on today. Well, Mima, thank you and continue your good work. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcast. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find this show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.